church. How many of you brought your Bible this morning? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building this morning? I want to ask you to take your Bible and join me on page number 1,301. If you have an old Schofield Bible, 1301, or the book of Hebrews in uh, chapter number 10 in the New Testament. We're way over now toward the end of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to read a verse here or two in just a moment. And then I'll ask you, if you will, to leave your Bibles open and follow me as we work through a few verses this morning surrounding this text for the message, Hebrews chapter 10, 1301. Let me join Brother Zach in inviting you to come back and be a part of our service here uh, this afternoon at 530. We'd love for you to come. And if you're visiting today, hope you'll come back and be with us. If you're a member, why, we just look for you to come back. And uh, so hope you'll be here. Trust the Lord will bless our time together here at 530 this afternoon. Hope you'll pray for the service. Ask the Lord to help us. You know, we usually get warmed up in the uh, morning service, and then usually by Sunday night, we're, we're hitting on all eight when we come back. And uh, so I hope you'll be here for the service this afternoon at 530. All right? Hebrews chapter 10. If you got your Bible and you're there, would you say amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. I heard about this farmer. He'd farmed for many, many years, and finally, he retired from farming. Well, he'd been retired for a little while, and he kind of got a little bit bored, and he decided to, of all things, he was going to open a medical clinic. This old farmer, he opened up a medical clinic. He put a sign outside the door that said this, Get your treatment for $500. If you're not cu cured, we'll give you back $1,000. Well, there was this young doctor that had moved into town, and he heard about the old farmer that had opened up a medical practice, and he thought that old farmer didn't know beans about medicine, so he thought, man, this will be an easy way for me to make a little money, to make $1,000. So he goes out to the old farmer's clinic, and this is what happened. He said to the old farmer, he said, I've lost every taste bud in my mouth. He said, I can't taste a thing. Can you please help me? And the old farmer looked at the nurse and said, Nurse, Please go get me some medicine from box number 22 and put three drops in his mouth. And she did. Well, when she did that, that old doctor went, <coughs> he said, that's terrible. He said, that's gasoline. The old farmer said, congratulations. You've got your taste back. That'll be $500. Well, the young doctor, he's a little bit annoyed by that. So he goes away and he comes back after a couple of days and he says to the doctor, he said, Doctor, I've lost my memory. He said, I can't remember a thing. The old farmer said, Hey, nurse, go back, get that box number 22. Come back in here, put three drops of uh, medicine right there in his mouth. That old young doctor said, Oh, no, you're not doing that. That's gasoline. The doctor said, Old farmer said, Congratulations. You've got your memory back. That'll be $500. Now the young doctor's really ticked off, so he leaves in a huff. He comes back several days later, and he says to the old farmer, he said, my eyesight is terrible. He said, I can't see a thing. Well, the old farmer said, you know something? I got no medicine for that, so here is your $1,000. Well, the old the young doctor counts it. He said, wait a minute, this is only $500. The old farmer said, congratulations. You've just got your eyesight back. That'll be five hundred dollars. Now, the moral of the story is this. Just because you're young don't mean you can outsmart an old retired farmer. You know, one of the things that happens to us as we get older is the fact that our memory is not as good as it used to be. 
How many of y'all can identify with that? You know, the older you get, you can't remember that person's name or you can't remember that event or something that happened uh, a long time ago in, in your life. Your memory begins to slip a little bit. I read this week about this man and his wife. They were upstairs cleaning out the attic and they found an old ticket from a local shoe store and it had the date stamped on it from 11 years ago. One of them, the husband or the wife, wanted to take a pair of shoes to the shop 11 years ago, and they forgot to pick it up. Well, you know, they couldn't remember which one did it, and they laughed about it. And the man said to his wife, said, do you reckon they still got that pair of shoes? She said, well, I doubt it. He said, well, I'm going to check. So he puts that ticket in his pocket, gets in the car, and drives down to the shoe repair shop, and he walks in there to the guy behind the counter with a straight face, and he hands him that ticket from 11 years before. Well, the owner of the shop said, ah, this may take a little bit. And he goes back in the back, and boxes are going everywhere. And finally, he hollers out just a few minutes. He said, hey, I found them. And he walks out with just a straight of face and looked at the man and said, they'll be ready on Thursday. <laughs> Your memory is not as good. Well, the writer of the text this morning in Hebrews chapter 10 is calling upon his, his readers to do one thing. And that one thing is to remember. In fact, he just doesn't call upon them to just remember, but he calls upon them to remember a certain event in their life. So look at chapter 10, look at verse 32, and here's what he says. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Now, he's just not saying, hey, remember back, just remember back, just test your memory a little bit, but he calls upon them specifically to remember how things were in their life shortly after they were illuminated. Now, what does that mean, illuminated? Well, it's the same word in verse number 32 that it is back in chapter 6 when he uses the word enlightened. And it is a reference to the fact of when we got saved. You know, that's a good definition to get saved, isn't it? You become illuminated. You become enlightened because the truth of the matter is the Bible makes it clear that before you and I got saved that we were walking, we were dwelling, we were living in the darkness. But one of the good things that happens to us once we become saved is the fact that we're no longer walking in the darkness. We have received him whom said, I am the light of the world. He comes into our heart and then the Bible said that his light begins to shine out of our light and so a good word to define what it means to be saved is this, you have become illuminated. I am no longer walking in the darkness. I am now walking in the light. So in reality, he says, hey, think back. Remember that day, how the days were right after you got saved. Boy, those were some good days, weren't they? Now, I realize in this congregation, and I don't know how many people are here this morning, but really, no matter how many of us are sitting in this room today, all of us would fall into one of four categories. See if you don't agree with this. You know, you know, there are probably some people sitting in this room today that are not saved. So you would be what we would place, we would place you in the unsaved category. Now let us let me say that if you're in the unsaved category, my prayer, the prayer of hundreds of other people 
sitting in this room today, we're praying for you that this will be the day that you get saved. You know, how much longer are you going to kick against the pricks, to use Bible terminology? How much longer are you going to resist the will of God? How much longer are you going to tell the Holy Spirit no? How much longer are you going to risk endangering walking over the deadline to remain in an unsaved state? I see you sitting in this service wiping the tears or shifting from one foot to the other foot like you're a little bit nervous because you're uncomfortable. Let me tell you, a good Bible word for that is conviction, friend. And let me just stop and say this. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction is a good thing. What you need to do is not walk out that way, but walk up this way and invite Jesus to come into your heart and save you. Oh, that's a good day in your life. If you are here in this building today and you've never been saved, I don't care if you're a Baptist, a Methodist, I don't care what you are, but if you've never been saved, let me tell you something. This is your day. This is a good place for you to get saved. Unsaved. But then there are other people sitting in this room today who have been saved for years. I mean, they're way down the road in their walk with God. I venture to say there's probably some people sitting in this room today that's been saved 50, 60, maybe even 70 years. I mean, you know, the one thing the Lord has blessed our church with is we have members of our church that have been here for a long, long time. You know, in our day, people shop churches like they do bargains at the grocery store. They run to this one, run to that one, whichever one they can do the best at is where they run to. But I thank God here at Woodland, we got folks here that's been members of our church for 50, 60, 70 year and they're still sitting right here in this place today you've been saved you're down your the road in your walk with God they're older in the faith then there are some that are kind of in the middle age of their faith you know they're in that 10 20 year range boy they're learning to walk with God they have some stumbles you know they fall around a little bit but they always get back up dust themselves off and just start walking with God again thank God for those middle-aged saved people that are sitting here this morning and then there are those who have maybe just recently come into the family that have just gotten saved not too awful long ago and maybe they're in the bassinet or maybe they're starting the crawling stage of the Christian life or, or whatever but Paul just reminds us all, no matter what case we may be in, Paul just says, hey, why don't you think back to how things used to be in your life when you first got saved. Recall to remembrance the former days, those yesterdays in which right after you were illuminated right after you got saved. Now I get it. You know when you first get saved there's so much zeal but there's not a whole lot of knowledge there. There's a whole lot of excitement and enthusiasm and man you just can't, you know you can't do enough for the Lord and we may not be able to explain all that just happened to us in theological uh, terminology but the one thing that we do know is this. When we die we don't have to go to hell. Can I tell you something, friend? That's a good thing to know. When you die, you don't have to go to hell. Another thing we know is the weight and the burden of sin has been lifted off of us. Another thing we know is we got peace in our heart. And another thing we know is how good that it feels to be clean and right with God. All of that happens to us the very moment we walk into God's family. There we are with little or no knowledge, but then we start coming to church. And we start listening to preaching and the preacher gets up and he preaches the word of God to us. And, and we hear the teacher in Sunday school and we go through discipleship class and the choir sings. And thank God for good songs that teaches us Bible truths about God and, and about the word of God. And all those things begin to accumulate in our life. And we start learning about Jesus and we learn more about Jesus. And we learn more about what happened to us when we first got saved. But instead of getting more excited about all of it and more ignited about all that, for some reason, 
the older we get in the Lord, the more things begin to cool off. The more things begin to wane in our life. The more things, the, the fire begins to die down. Now, you would think that would just be the opposite. You would think we would come into God's family. It's all new. We start learning about Jesus, and the more we learn and the more we come, the more excited we get about it. But tragically and truly, that is not the case. And I'm afraid that's happened to a lot of us sitting in this room today, and I said us. We're a far cry from where we used to be. We're not even in the same area code of where we were when we first got saved. We're not even in the same zip code. Many of us are not even on the same continent of where we were when we got saved by the grace of God. Now, the problem, well, the problem with the whole thing is this. Once we become saved and walk into God's family, we have one of two options that we can choose. All right, look if you will now, chapter number 10. Here's the first option, verse 22. And notice the phrase in verse 22 of chapter 10, let us draw near. So we can choose the option of drawing near to God, drawing closer to God. You see, when we become God's child, we, we, we've got the choice now. Do we want to be close to God? Do we want to be near God? And by the way, can I tell you this? Uh, nothing but good things happen in our life when we get near to God, get close to God. Now, I'm not talking about you're going to ride around in a Cadillac and a Mercedes Benz and wear floor shine shoes and a Rolex watch, but I'll tell you what, it sure is good to be close to God. It doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away. It doesn't mean if you're sick, you're going to get well. But I tell you what, it sure is good to be close to God. We can choose the option of drawing near to God and getting closer to Him. And by the way, the closer we get to Him, the more ignited and the more excited that we're going to be. Or option number two, look at verse 39. We can choose this option. But we're not of them who draw back. You see, we have a choice of either drawing near to God, getting close to God, or we have the choice of drawing back, distancing ourselves from the Lord. Well, the writer of this text is writing and he says, okay, I, what I want you to do is take a trip down memory lane and I want you to think about how you were in those days right after you got illuminated. How you were in those days right after you became God's child. So this morning, I want to preach on this thought right here. I want to preach on the diary of a new convert. The diary. You know something, it used to be years ago, and I don't think people do this much anymore, probably because of cell phones and Facebook and all that social media stuff, but people used to keep diaries, especially young ladies. And in those diaries were all of their desires and their dreams and their ambitions, and they kept a diary. Oh, how it embarrassed them if anybody ever got in their diary and read what they were writing down. They had a diary about their life. This happened today. I met this person today. This was my day. It was not a lot of excitement, but they kept a diary. Well, let me just say this. If every new convert kept a diary of those first days when they walked into God's family, I think there would be several chapters in that diary. So I want you to do this morning, I want you to join me in this text, and I just want to take us a walk down memory lane. Let's talk about how it used to be right after we got illuminated. First of all, look in our text this morning. Let's talk about this. Number one, I think there would have to be a chapter in that diary about, number one, the conflicts of a new convert. The conflicts of a new convert. Now look at verse 32, and let's read this. And it says this, verse 32, But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated. That's just another way of saying after you got saved. But then notice this statement. You endured a great fight 
of afflictions. Now, there are three words in that statement that bother me. Number one, great. Number two, fight. And number three, afflictions. Because I want to tell you something. I don't like fights. I don't like afflictions. And I definitely don't like great fights. And I definitely don't like great afflictions. But Paul said, or the writer of this text says, after you got saved, you started having some problems in your life. Can I tell you something? The truth of the matter is enlightenment, along with the light, enlightenment comes enemies. With illumination comes alienation. And with alienation comes aggravation. You see what happens is this. You see, when we get saved, you know, get saved and come into God's family, we start living in the light. I said that just a moment ago. I mean, the light of the world moves into us, and then he says to us, okay, ye are the light of the world. And the light that Jesus is begins to shine in us and begins to shine through us. Us. Well, as that light begins to shine in us where we were once dwelling in the darkness, now we're walking in the light. And when that light begins to shine in us, and we don't mean for this to happen, but as we move about in the world, that light that now shines in us and through us begins to reveal the darkness of those around us. You know, let's just face it. You know, people love darkness. There's a verse in John chapter 3 verse 19 that says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So there we were at one time. We were in darkness. We were darkness dwellers. That's where we live. But when we got saved, we started walking in the light. And now when we get around that crowd that we used to hang around with, the darkness dwellers, and we get around them, the light that's shining in us begins to reveal how dirty and how dark their lives are. And the truth of the matter is, let's just face it, I mean, they don't like that that good. I mean, it begins to show them up. We don't mean to. We, it's not our intention to set about to do that, but it just happens. And when that happens, the truth of the matter is those people that are dwelling in the darkness don't like it, and the end result is a great fight and afflictions. Can I give you some good advice? If somebody is asleep in a dark room, don't cut the light on. That's a good way to get killed. When we're dwelling in the darkness, we like the darkness. But when we get around the light, the light begins to reveal how dirty we are. The light begins to reveal the, 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 all the wrong things that are in our lives. And people get angered by that. They're upset by that. We don't mean to. We don't set about to say, man, let's just see who all, go off, who all I can tick off today. Let's go out here and let's just try to make everybody hate us. We don't do that. But once we get saved, thank God there's a change in our life because we've been to Calvary. We're not the men or the women that we used to be. And when that happens, man, it draws the ire and the criticism of this old world. And there is a fight, and there is a fix. In fact, can I tell you this? We have the story in our Bible where one brother killed his other brother simply because of this truth I'm trying to get across to you. Remember when old Cain brought his offering to the Lord, and it was a beautiful basket of fruit and vegetables, and he set it down, and God rejected it. God turned up his nose at it. You know why? It didn't have a drop of blood in it. Amen. You can't, you can't please and be right with God by the works and the fruits of your own hand. Buddy, I'm telling you, there's only one way that God will accept you and me, and that's through the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. And here come Abel with a little lamb in his arm, and he, and he peeled his head back, drew, uh, drew his dagger out of his, uh, his uh, dagger out of his um, sheath, and brought it across the neck of that little lamb, and the blood drained out, and God looked down and had respect and, uh, and received the offering of, of 
of, of Abel. Hey, Abel didn't go over trying to show Cain up. He was just trying to worship God. He was just trying to do what was right. And what happened to old Cain? He got so angry and so mad because Abel's rightness revealed his wrongness that he rose up and killed his own brother. And I'm here to tell you, it still happens today. Maybe they won't kill us. But the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, once we become saved by the grace of God, we have to endure a great fight of afflictions. That's a part of the conflict of being a child of God. These folks that, that's writing about in our text this morning, listen, they just didn't ruffle a few feathers. They just didn't rub a few people the wrong way. They endured a great fight of afflictions. In fact, down in verse 33, it says this, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. You know something? That word gazing stock is where we get our English word theater. And he said, it's like you're you're on a stage and all you're trying to do is do what's right and those people and they watch you and as they watch you and they see the difference in your life compared to their life and where you're at compared to where they're at I'm mean, you draw the ire and the criticism of this old world look at me stop the message cut the tape off I got a question for you when's the last time you said something or you did something that made people in the world look at you a little bit funny. Hey, when's the last time you just took a little stand on something? When's the last time somebody come around you and said, hey, why don't we do this? Hey, why don't we go over to the bar tonight and just hang out a little bit? Why don't we go clubbing? You say, I, I don't drink. Or, or maybe somebody told you a dirty joke and you didn't laugh and it was like, I'm just trying to say, when's the last time we did something that caused this lost world to look at us just a little bit funny? The truth be told, too many of us are trying to slip through this world incognito, hoping that nobody suspects that we're a child of God. I heard about this old boy. He's just a young convert, and he took a job at a logging camp. And this pastor knew, man, that's a rough crowd, them logging camps. So before he left, he told the young man, he said, I'm really earnestly going to be praying for you while you're there. And so he went off and worked at the logging camp several months, and he finally comes back. And the preacher goes up to him and says, man, I just want to tell you, I did what I said. I prayed for you earnestly. I hope you're okay. He said, oh, preacher, it was fine. I don't think anybody up there ever suspected that I was a child of God. That's where we're at in modern-day Christianity. We're trying to slip through this world incognito. We don't want anybody to find out that we're a child of God. In fact, let me tell you, in these last days, we have become absolute experts at being saved and avoiding conflict. Yeah, Amen, preacher. We have become experts at not taking a stand. Experts at knowing how to slip out of situations. Experts at not trying to rub anybody the wrong way. Listen again, I'm not trying to suggest we should go out here and purposely try to rub people wrong and make them mad and tick them off and cause us to be hated. I'm not talking about that. But I'm telling you, if we're where we're supposed to be and we live like we're supposed to live and we walk like we're supposed to walk and we talk like we're supposed to talk, guess what? There will be a difference. And there's going to be some conflict, friend. A great fight of afflictions that we're going to have on our hands. So I think in that, that diary, we'd have to have a chapter about the conflicts of a new convert. But then look at this one. 
Number two, there'd have to be a chapter in there about the companions of the new convert. That's right. Look again at our text. In verse number 33, the writer says this. You were made a gazing stock. There were reproaches and affliction. And partly, Paul said, or the writer said, you became companions of them that were so used. This crowd that got saved and become this great fight of afflictions and folks started turning their back on them and persecuting them for what they were doing. Listen, can I tell you something? They found solace. They found, they found comfort in the fact that there were some other people that was just like them that were going through the same kind of things. Now, I've said this several times. I don't know for sure. I keep saying Paul is the writer of Hebrews. I personally think he is. If we get to heaven and he's not, I'll be disappointed, but I'll get over it. I'm in heaven for crying out loud. But if Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews, boy, he knew exactly what he was talking about right here. Because you talk about a man who lost all of his friends in a moment's notice. Oh, Paul did. He got saved on the road to Damascus. And the very moment that Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, he went from being the persecutor to the persecuted in a moment of time. He lost every friend that he had. In fact, let me tell you, his friends started planning and plotting for his demise. They tried their best to kill him, and they would have killed him had not some disciples got together, put him in a basket, tied a rope around it, and let it down in the middle of the night, and he escaped. I'm telling you, he lost every friend that he had when he accepted Jesus. And can I tell you something? You're going to lose your friends too, friend. I'm not going to lie to you. You can't, you can't be saved, live for God, and keep your old beer drinking. But it's not that we're better than they are. It's not that we're better than they are. It's not that we're higher and holier than they are. It's just, friend, we're walking now to the beat of a different drum. I'm telling you, we're a child of God. The light came on. We're not dwelling in the darkness anymore. We're saved by the good grace of God. And I just want to tell you, friend, you're going to lose your friends. But then you come over here to church, and guess what? You find some new friends, a new set of friends that's just like you are. That old crowd you used to lay around with and drink beer and smoke weed and cuss and dance and play cards. That old crowd you used to go around to all these old nightclubs and hell holes. When you walk in and tell them, hey, I got saved yesterday by the grace of God, they're going to ostracize you. Hey, that, they don't want anything to do with you. They're going to socially distance themselves from you and you ain't even got coronavirus. They don't want anything else to do with you. But thank God there's a place you can come and you can find some new friends that's just like you that's excited and enthused about living for God. And thank God you can make some new friends. And they're excited. They're like you. They're glad they don't have to go to hell. They had not been around church long enough to know that you can't be happy that you're not going to hell anymore. And I'm being sarcastic. And I know that. But isn't it a sight when new converts have to backslide to get into fellowship with the rest of the church? Is it not a sight when a new convert and, and excitement and enthusiasm and the old codgers sit around and say, I'll give him six months, he'll get over it. God help us. I'll tell you what, we ought to be trying to be like him instead of trying to drag him down to where we are. Yes, sir. But you meet that crowd, that new crowd. You become, in the words of the apostle here, you become the companions of them. Aren't you glad? I'm glad to be in that them crowd. I'm not of that crowd that's turning back. I want to be of that crowd that believes the Bible and is excited about being saved and happy that he's going to heaven and happy that he knows Jesus. I want to be around that crowd of people. 
That's where you meet that crowd that they don't provoke you to do wrong. They provoke you to do right. They don't, they don't encourage you to do wrong. They encourage you to do right. People who are not going to try to drag you away from Jesus. But the kind of friends you need is people that's going to try to push you toward Jesus to encourage you to stay close to him. Then he says uh, in, the, in these verses, verse 33, that you become companions of those who were just like you. Question, remember when you weren't embarrassed to get around people who were excited about Jesus. Hey, remember when you used to go to the restaurant with your buddies and there come the waitress around and she's filling up your tea or your water or whatever and one of your buddies said, ma'am, can I ask you a question? Do you know Jesus? And you didn't drop the napkin in the floor and you was crawling up under the table looking for stuff because you didn't want to see how red-faced you were because somebody mentioned Jesus to the waitress. Remember how it used to be? Remember when you, man, you were excited about knowing Jesus? Then I got to stop and ask you a question. My question to you is this. Are your friends now the persecuted or are your friends the persecutors? Do you find it easier to be around that crowd that laughs at people behind their back because of their faith? Do you find it easy to be around that crowd that makes fun of people because they're radical in their religion? I mean, they're fanatical in their relationship with God. That old boy carries his Bible around and a full, pocket full of tracts and he's quoting verses and, and he's always trying to get people to come to church and you, you try to distance yourself from that crowd and you find yourself being more comfortable with this crowd that makes fun of people who are like that. Oh man. Boy, we need to get back to those former days after that we were illuminated. We need some companions to surround ourselves with the right kind of people like that again. Paul said you became companions of those who were like you, who were in the same boat as you. But then watch this. Not only did he talk about the conflicts and the companions, but he goes on a little bit further in verse number 34. Now he talks about the contribution of the new convert. Look at verse 34. For you had compassion of me in my bonds. Notice this phrase now. And took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. You know what he's saying now? Man, they paid a heavy price to be a child of God. They, they, their, their goods were spoiled. And what was their attitude? Look at me. Oh, that hurts. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. Is that what the Bible said that they did? How did they take it? <laughs> Joyfully. I mean, man, it cost them back in the first century. If you were going to be a child of God, man, it, was meant, it meant that you were not only going to be persecuted physically, but it also meant you were going to be persecuted financially. If Paul wrote this book, if he wrote this book, we know in his other writings, and if he wrote this one, he wrote 14 of these 27 New Testament books. But if he wrote this, we know in those 13 other books that he did write for sure. He was constantly going around receiving offerings for those Christians back in Jerusalem that were being persecuted. You know why? Man, they took a heavy hit because they were faithful to God and they named the name of Christ. 
But then it just simply says they took that joyfully. They, they counted their losses financially and materially very minimal in comparison to what they found as a child of God. They joyfully gave it up. Now contrast to this, this, to this day. I mean, you stop and think about it. And when we first get saved, those days right after we were illuminated, we come into God's family, the preacher mentions a need that we have. Oh, man, we're pulling our billfolds out, man. We're, we're dealing it out. But then as time goes along, it's like, what more do they want from me? I mean, I don't get this. I mean, I get what I can. I mean, I don't understand, you know. And they become very tight-fisted when it comes to the work of God. Can I tell you something about our church? And I think you know this, but our church operate, operates financially on the willingness of God's people to give. We don't receive a penny of government money to keep our church going. And by the way, if they offered it to us, we wouldn't take it. Because then they try to tell us what we got to do, and we ain't going to do what they want us to do. We're not even in the same zip code of what they want us to do. And, and the, we don't get, Duke Power don't call us up and say, man, y'all doing such a great job over there, Woodland. Uh, you, you, your power bill's free this year. Let's just take the whole year off. Don't pay a one. Your water's free. Your sewer. It, it doesn't happen. Our, biz, our church is not a business, but it operates like a business in the fact that we have to have money to be able to do what God wants us to do. And that many co money comes from the membership of our church. Oh, you say, preacher, we're just giving to pay your salary. Wait a minute. Then that means I give to pay my salary. And I'll be honest with you, I don't like it. Why do I have to give to pay my own salary? But I do. I, I place my offering in the plate every week. I give my tithe and well beyond that, not being pharisaical. You know why? This is God's house. Man, I don't want our church to limp and struggle along. I don't want our church just to survive. I want it to thrive. And when I give, I do it joyfully. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like this. You know, before I got saved, you know how it was before you got saved? Watch this. No hour was too late. No distance was too far. No cost was too high if you were going to go and have a good time. Watch this. No hour. I mean, you'd get home. You'd go to some old rock music concert or country music, bless God, concert. You'd get home at 3 o'clock, wipe your eyes, old eyes bloodshot, go to bed, maybe lay down a couple hours, get up and go to work the next day. Didn't think a thing about it. You know why? You was having a good time. No hour was too late. Sit up and play cards at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Dance with somebody else's wife down to the club or whatever. No hour was too late. No distance was too late. You'd drive 100 miles to hear, to, to hear um, what's that crowd you've been listening to lately? <laughs> uh, kiss. Whatever. Kiss. You'd drive 200 miles. No distance was too far. Those tickets cost $150 a piece. No cost was too much. And when after you got saved, man, you come into God's family. No time was too late. Oh, it's getting late. Preach on, preacher. We no hurry. No hour was too late. No distance was too far. I got to drive 25 miles over there, and I don't mind a foot of it. I'm just glad I got a good church to go to. May have to drive 25 miles. I don't care. No distance is too great. No cost is too high. Oh, y'all building a new building? What can I do, preacher? Here's $100. You ever notice at church how, how big a $100 bill looks? And over at Haynes Mall, how small it looks. 
they took joyfully. Now, here we are years later. Is he still preaching? It's 1101. The Methodists are going to beat us to the fish house today. We have got to go. Is he talking about money again? Under God, I wish we'd get that building built so he'd shut up about money around here. Do they expect me to drive over there every night to some revival meeting? Don't he know it's 25 miles from my house to that? Recall to remembrance, call to remembrance the former days after which you were illuminated. No cost was too much. No distance was too far. No hour was too late. And now here we sit today. Some of you are already sneaking a peek at what time it is. And last of all, there must be the consolation of the newcomer. Why are they acting like this? Well, look at verse 34 and I'm done. It says this, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. You know what that's simply telling us? It simply means this. When you're a new convert, this old world loses its appeal and all you can think about is heaven. I mean, why not give up something? You're going to live, bless God, someday where they, where they make the streets out of pure gold. What's a few hundred down here? You're going to live up there where the walls are jasper and the gates are pearl and the streets are pure gold. Hey, we're heading to a place where there's not going to be any heartache or headaches, not going to be any, any ALS. There's not going to be any cancer or, 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 or Alzheimer's or diabetes or heart problems. Hey, we're going to a perfect place someday. Why not want to just set our affections and our attention over there? And then through a process of time, it's like, man, and our, our attention is drawn away from that, and we get so earthly-minded that we're no longer any heavenly good. So we stand up in church, and we sing that, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Or uh, uh, we sing about heaven when we get over there. What a wonderful place it's going to be. Uh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And when we're young and, and, and it first gets saved, it's like, man, I can't remember all them words, but I like a sound of that song. i got a mansion just over the hilltop. And then 25 years into it, Hey, would you stand up? Brother Mark's going to stand and lead us in a song. I got a mansion just over the hilltop. Or it's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we just got over it. We just got over it. Call to remembrance the former days after which you were illuminated. Don't you think we ought to go back and just pray, oh God, give me that excitement back again. I tell you, Corona has killed us spiritually. We need to just pray, oh God, make me like I used to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible.